Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus. That name above every other name. The name that every knee must bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All that we do in word and deed, we're told to do in the wonderful name of Jesus, including preaching, teaching, whatever it is that we do, doing the laundry, whatever it is that you do, do in the wonderful name of Jesus. This morning, I entitled my message, A Day to Remember. A Day to Remember. First, let's pray. We give thanks to you, Father, for your presence here among us today and your anointing upon the word that will go forth with power and demonstration. Father, give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds that are open to it, and change us by it from glory to glory, that we might conform to the very image of Jesus and become that for which he shed his blood and offered his life. We believe we receive it now. We'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I chose this scripture in the book of Exodus to, to begin with. And in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 14, it tells us, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Spiritually speaking and naturally speaking as well, there are certain days that we should remember. And in some cases, we don't have to work hard to remember that day. Why? Because of maybe a certain event that occurred on that day. But just for example, spiritually speaking, we know the Israelites were told to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And of course, it doesn't take a whole lot to remember that. But here we read about the Passover. It celebrated their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And they were told to keep it as a memorial throughout their generations and throughout their lifetime and throughout forever. Well, there were also other feast days that they were to keep. Pentecost is coming up. We hear, talked about the spring feasts that were already accomplished by Jesus and we have the fall feasts that are coming up those were specific or special days that were set aside for them to remember and also to honor God on well in the natural we know the same thing is true when it comes to wedding anniversaries which we just uh, of course celebrated with others wedding anniversary something that you should remember if not I'm sure your wife will make clear to you the next time and you won't forget then when it comes to a birthday once again happy birthday honey tomorrow's her birthday um, we want to remember that. Whether it's a special occasion, for example, uh, it could be the occasion of your new birth. I call that a birthday as well, a spiritual birthday, the day that you gave your heart to Jesus and you passed from death to life and now you're a child of God. You might, might want to make note of that. Now, I remember the month of my birthday. I don't remember, spiritually speaking, I don't remember the day of my birthday because I wasn't told to write it down or remember it or all that. But I know that it was in October of 1976 is when I gave my heart to Jesus. It was a special day in my life. Of course, I'll never forget it, but I don't remember the exact day that it took place. We remember holidays, whether it's Christmas, Easter, etc., etc. We know that these days are set apart for us to remember and to celebrate. Well, tomorrow we set aside a day that we remember all those who made the ultimate decision, paid the ultimate 
price, made the ultimate sacrifice in laying down their lives so that we can be assured that we experience the freedoms that we have. And still many are doing that today to protect our liberties and defend our freedoms. And of course, we want to honor those individuals. Tomorrow's not just a day to gather for a picnic. When I was growing up, I remember to me as a young person, Memorial Day was the day, if you recall the Store Hills department store. Many of you do. I was just a young boy at that time. Memorial Day to me was the day that you get in a car, drive out to Boardman, go to Hills, and get a five, five cent hot dog and a five cent Coke. That's what you got on Memorial Day. I didn't realize what it meant. I had no idea what it meant. I didn't know what we were remembering. But obviously as you grow older, then you come to appreciate things and see them from a different light. I realize it's more than getting a hot dog and a free Coke or something of that nature. People lay down their lives so that you and I can have the freedoms that we enjoy. I want to share with you just some numbers. First of all, in World War II, 291,557 lives were sacrificed. In the American Civil War, 214,938 lives were sacrificed. World War I, 53,402. Vietnam, 47,424. The Korean War, 33,686. The American Revolutionary War, 8,000 lives were lost. In Iraq, 3,836. In the War of 1812, 2,260. In Afghanistan, 1,833. In the Mexican-American War, 1,733 lives were lost. This is called warfare deaths. So a total of 658,669 lives were lost to ensure the liberties and the freedoms that you and I enjoy in the United States of America. Of course, we see what it's like right now with COVID-19 to have some of those privileges taken away from us. And it's not fun, is it? But just think about living in a country where you have none of the rights and privileges that we have and freedoms as a nation. Well, it's one thing for us to share numbers. All these numbers I just threw out to you, 658,000 plus that gave their lives. It's one thing to share numbers. It's another thing to share memories and experiences that took place. So I want to share with you just a few, three witnesses and their experiences when they were in warfare. Number one, witness number one. This person was in the Navy. He remembers the day that the chopper was to come and lift up his crew, airlift them to safety out of the enemy territory. Well, upon its arrival, it was shot down by the enemy fire. As a result, they had to spend the night there in the bunkers waiting for the next chopper to come the next morning. Of course, when all this is taking place and all this is going on, things happen and sometimes you're unaware of what's happening in your surrounding. Well, this fellow said, when the chopper finally came in in the morning, I nudged my fellow soldier next to me to wake him up so that we can get out of there and be airlifted to safety. Well, when he didn't budge, he didn't move, I pushed him a little bit harder. He still didn't move again, so what I did was I turned him over and when I turned him over, his face was missing gone that's a memory that he has of warfare 
Imagine that. Witness number two, he was involved in the Vietnam War. He'll never forget the day that he witnessed three of his fellow soldiers lose their lives to enemy fire right before his eyes and the impact that it had in his life. So we're not just talking about numbers. Now we're talking about names. We're talking about people. We're talking about someone who was there who witnessed the trauma. It was traumatized by what they witnessed during this warfare. Of course, with the idea that he's there to protect our freedom and liberty. The third one is really something that's very difficult to even say, let alone imagine. This one took place in July of 1967. And as he spoke, he said it was a beautiful day to start out. But by the end of the day, this is what he viewed. He saw 200 fellow soldiers lose their lives in such a way that's unfathomable. Many were running full of fire as their bodies were being burned. Body parts were just hurled through the air from the bombs that were exploding. And he saw all this take place right before his very eyes. It's hard to imagine experiencing these things, but in warfare, those are the things that take place. And then we kind of wonder why when many return from warfare, they encounter PTSD. And it's very difficult them, for them emotionally to function in life. Well, also, I want to share with you this. These three individuals were asked, what is it that you would want survivors to remember as they celebrate Memorial Day? What impact did it have on you that you can, can let's say, give to other people to let them know what really tomorrow's celebration is all about? It's remembering that Freedom doesn't come without a price. It costs not only to achieve freedom, but to maintain freedom. Number one, our first witness said, I want them to know what they should remember. Don't ever take for granted the freedoms that you enjoy as an American citizen. And don't ever disrespect the flag or dishonor it. I remember one time watching the movie, The American President. And Michael Douglas standing there behind the podium and he said something like this. If I live in a land that's free, then you should have a right to honor the flag or burn it if you would like to. You know, just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean you should do it or it's the right thing to do. That's how it is also here with us as far as church is concerned. We have a right to meet normally if we want to this, let's say next Sunday. But is that the right thing to do? Just because we can do it. Paul said, I'm, it's lawful for me to do it, but it's not profitable. Or beneficial for me to do it. And so, if you were to take some of these people that dishonor the flag, disrespect the flag, put them out the battlefield sometime, and let them see what goes on out there, I would pray that it would change their thought and idea about whether or not they should disrespect or dishonor the flag of the United States of America. Secondly, the second person said, what I want people to remember is this. If you're a veteran out there, we have many veterans here in our congregation, be thankful. Be thankful that you're a person who was blessed enough to survive the conflict and the war. And you were one of those that were brought home to your family and your friends. And he said, look, don't take anyone for granted. Don't take anything for granted. Because you see, so many people are not coming back home ever. And they don't have those relationships anymore. 
The third one said, do all that you can to protect the freedoms that we have in this nation and don't ever allow war to come to our land. It is too devastating. The impact that it has upon human lives goes beyond words. Then the effect not only is upon the person that was there who witnessed what took place, what about the family members that have been left behind? And here I just want to share with you the testimony of a young girl. She was very young at the time, around seven years of age. She was just going to school, as anyone would on a normal day. But you see, on May the 20th, 1967, her 18-year-old brother went off to war. In the process, he was shot in the head and his life was taken. She was then told of his death. This man was a young man who was really a well-off individual. He was soft-spoken, well-liked, even engaged to be married at the time. But he chose to go to the armed forces and defend the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation. Because uh, he was raised up in a particular denomination, he could have opted out and not gone to war or even to the armed forces. And I think some family members wanted him to do that. But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to opt out. I will defend the freedoms we enjoy in this great nation. So he went off to war and he lost his life. So the impact on this young girl, let's start with the parents. The parents were impacted. They lost a young son. And what about the siblings? They lost their brother. And this young person, so young, her heart broke over the fact that she would never see her brother ever again. The fiancé, this woman lost her fiancé. They were going to get married as soon as he got out of the service. But he's not there. And the most tragic part of it, and this is the very difficult part of it, the father, who was an elder in the church, his life was in the church, because this happened, he said, I can't believe that God would let this happen to my son. He walked away from the church. He walked away from God. Got involved in all kinds of activity that he never did before in his life. He almost lost his composure, his thinking. War is not fun. The impact of losing lives goes beyond the person whose life was lost. Other people are left devastated Others are left destroyed. This man walked away from God and we don't know to this day if he ever once again returned. But all this, why? Because of warfare. So tomorrow, it's not just about a hot dog. It's not just about having something to drink or even gathering if we can with social distancing with 25 people or less, whatever we choose to do on this occasion it's really telling us to remember something that is so impacting that it affects the lives of so many people when a life is taken because of war. I want you to turn with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because there's something else I want to point us to. This direction involves not the natural, but the spiritual. Because you see, we can't begin to understand the effect that 658,000 and plus lives lost had on loved ones and friends and family members that were left behind. We can't even imagine it. But we know it has to be devastating. 
But as precious as those lives are and were to all these people, all their sacrifices put together could not possibly deliver anyone from spiritual death and eternal destruction. As wonderful as they are and were, that could never happen. You see, national freedom is not eternal. You only enjoy it while you're living your life here upon the earth. But you know what? You're a spiritual being, and so am I. We will live forever throughout eternity. Nothing is more important than to recognize and realize that there's warfare that's going on. There's an enemy out there fighting for your soul. He wants to take your life and destroy it eternally. Not just physically, not just emotionally, but eternally. He doesn't want you to enjoy the bliss of God's presence throughout eternity. He wants you to join him in the lake of fire where the screams of the people will go on throughout eternity. Now that's the reality that we live in. That's what we face every single day. We have an enemy targeting our spiritual condition, wanting to destroy our lives. Jesus said, this thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus didn't come for that. He came to give life and that more abundantly. So you see, eternal freedom cannot come by any individual. It cannot come by natural warfare. It can only come in the spiritual realm. And that's what I want to share with you. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15. This is from the NIV Bible. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, speaking of Christ, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Every single one of us faces death. Everybody in the world that was born faced death. There's only one individual that came to deal with this thing called death and overcome it. No one else born in this realm in which we live could possibly do what was necessary for us to be delivered from the slavery of sin and death. Jesus came to do that. That's why he had to take on himself our flesh. Look in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The reason why no human blood could possibly pay the price for sin is because everyone born through Adam is born with sin. Some call it the original sin. But the bloodstream was tainted, so therefore everyone that was procreated from Adam has their bloodstream tainted with the Adamic sin nature. And therefore it was impossible for a person to die for himself and shed his own blood for himself. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin at all. So what God had to do was come up with a plan. That plan included a virgin birth. God, the second person of deity, Christ, the second person, left the glory world behind, robed himself in human flesh in the body of the Virgin Mary, and took on flesh. This is a hypostatic union of deity and humanity so that his body would house the blood that came from the Father, not from Adam, but the Heavenly Father, so he can offer that blood as a sacrifice for the sin of the world and overcome death, hell, and the grave. Only Jesus could do that. And the book of Revelation chapter 1 
just to get right to the point. Look, either Jesus was a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was indeed who said he was the Son of God. And the only thing that can prove his claims as being the Son of God would be a resurrection from the dead. And all these years have come and gone, and there's no proof that he wasn't raised from the dead. Indeed, he was. And here's what he said when he emerged victorious over sin, death, hell, the grave. Here's what he said. NIV once again. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Praise God. There's no other being ever was, is, or will be that could ever make a declaration like that. Jesus was the one who shed his blood, offered it up in the high court of heaven, obtained eternal redemption for us. So through his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and seating at the right hand of the majesty on high, anyone and everyone can call upon his name to be saved. Look in the book of Revelation chapter 5. And this is a, a chapter that's just dear to my heart. I remember when I first came here 40 years ago, I would go into that little sanctuary and I would get in the middle aisle on my knees, open up my Bible, and I would read this chapter. So much so that I just committed it to memory and can quote the whole chapter. But look at what it says and you'll see why I embraced it so, so much. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts and four and twenty elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vows full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Why? For thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood. Now listen. Out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. That means all the people groups of the world. He shed his blood for. And made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. Think about it. Every realm heard I saying, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. I read that on purpose because there's only one life. You talk about memorializing a life. There's only one death that provides eternal glory. Eternal deliverance. From the effects of Adam's sin and the fall of man. You read through that chapter, you don't see anybody else's name. You don't hear anybody else's name being read. 
no matter what religious person on this planet, whoever was, is, or will be, that name will always be Jesus. No matter what their claims are, no matter what they say, there was religion before he came, there's religion after he left, but only one man died the death that was necessary to pay the price and offer his blood for our redemption, and his name is Jesus. And so therefore, it's important that we remember, yes, in the natural, all those that sacrificed their lives, all those that laid down their futures to go to battle, to go to war, to defend our freedoms. We thank God and we'll remember them tomorrow. But also, we're going to remember the one who sacrificed his life and laid it down for us to demonstrate the love of God and deliver us from an eternal fate we don't even want to think about. Thank God for Jesus. Now, what would we remember? Number one, everyone needs salvation. This is so important for us as Christians to recognize that person next to you, wherever you might be, in a mall, walking somewhere, at a gym, at work, every single person alive and breathing needs salvation. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. No one is exempt, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That really puts us all in the same category. James said if you just break one law of God, you broke them all. So therefore, every person on the planet needs salvation. I know it's not an easy thing to do. But we should be mindful of the fact that Jesus died and delays his coming so that people out there can come into the kingdom of God. He doesn't want one person to be lost, but every person to repent and make him Savior and Lord of their lives. So let's remember that as Christians and let's be powerful witnesses for Jesus. Number two. Everyone needs saved, but man can't save himself. Look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 19. That is impossible for man to save himself. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed and saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. Man cannot save himself, but with God all things are possible. So in other words, as long as a person was born with the Adamic sin nature, it's impossible for man to save himself, no matter how good he is, no matter how moral he is, no matter what good works he might do, no matter how religious he is. That is an impossibility, according to Jesus. But God's plan did what? Sent the Savior to the world, the Redeemer, who had to robe himself in flesh and pay the price so we could be saved. Number three, religion can't save us. Look in the book of Galatians in chapter 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And what he was trying to express, that is the apostle Paul was, these people that were wanting to go back into Judaism, they wanted to follow the law or even implement the law in, in accordance with the New Testament teachings and all that. They were being told by the Apostle Paul, the law can't save you. The law was designed to bring us to Christ. It was a teacher, like a tutor, to teach us about Christ. Which is why all the Old Testament is pointing to someone, the Messiah, Christ, who came in the flesh. To him. 
he would save us. And so our faith is in him and what he could do, not in ourselves and what we can do. It was to show us that we can't keep the law. We can't honor God. There's no possible way that we and ourselves can save ourselves. Religion cannot do it. I used to think when I was growing up, if I just went to church and did this and did that, and I was a good boy on Sunday, had Holy Communion on Sunday, it didn't matter how I lived the rest of the week because I put in what I needed to do in order to be saved. And lo and behold, when I found out that that's not good enough, that I can't, religion can't save me, I can't save myself, I recognize I had to be born again. What a difference it made in my life. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was born again of the Spirit, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and became a child of Almighty God. Religion can't save you. It can't save me. But thank God the blood of Jesus can. What about this? Animal blood can't save. I realize in Judaism they believed that because of the shedding of these Animal, the animals and their blood offered up in the holiest place of all, that that would be their salvation. But you know what? That's not true. Look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Notice, it's impossible. Those sacrifices can't do it. Your sacrifice can't do it. My sacrifice can't do it. We can't save ourselves. But thank God, someone else died for us and that's what we're to believe in and have faith in a body was prepared for christ is another thing that we are to remember look in hebrews chapter 10 beginning at verse 5 now a body was prepared for christ to do for man what man could not do for himself wherefore when he cometh into the world notice talking about when jesus came into the world talking about he wasn't jesus then he was christ he was the messiah yes but he was the second person of deity father son holy ghost the second person, the Son, left the glory world behind, shed himself from all his mighty power and glory, came into this planet by a virgin birth. Here's what he said. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above one he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not. In other words, they're not sufficient. Neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. What a remember. You talk about a death to remember. A sacrifice to remember. If it were not for this sacrifice that we're talking about, every single one of us would spend our eternity in a lake of fire and that wouldn't be fun. We've got a lot to remember. Let's remember also Christ's obedience and humility. Look in Philippians in chapter 2. His obedience and his humility. Imagine, it's hard for people to humble themselves. 
We know that's a part of the fall of man because Satan was full of pride. Lucifer was full of pride and said, I will, I will, five times I will. What he was going to do was exalt his throne above the throne of God. And God said after his fifth time, he said, I will. He says, you'll be brought down to hell. And that's the bottom line for you. And that was his fall. Well, you know what? Jesus didn't come full of pride and arrogance. Jesus had to humble himself had to pour himself out completely, rid himself of anything that would even hint pride, and do what he did, as we're going to read right now. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Yes, it goes on to say that God exalted him highly and gave him a name above every other name. <clears throat> but the point I'm making is that this death was an act of humility. Setting aside anything that the second person of deity experienced in glory to robe himself in flesh to become a man. You know, that leaves no room for pride in any of us. No room for arrogance in any of us. The only perfect human being was the God-man, Jesus Christ our Lord. And he humbled himself to be obedient, <clears throat> to die even the death of the cross. And in that Garden of Gethsemane, when he was crying out <clears throat> to the Father in prayer, and actually sweating as if it were blood coming from his pores, because he knew the punishment he would have to suffer when he became sin for you and for me. We thank God for all those that died to give us freedom. But they could never give us eternal freedom. They could never give us freedom from sin, death, and hell. Let's remember them and the national freedom they give us. But only Christ provides spiritual freedom throughout eternity. Let's look at the next one. Let's remember this. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. Let's remind ourselves. Yeah, there's a devil at work in the earth today, but he's been defeated by Jesus. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Can you picture it? Let's just take a moment just to view this. For 4,000 years, God is looking upon the circle of the earth. For 4,000 years, he's watching men and women make a mess of his creation. It starts with Adam and Eve. Cain killing his brother Abel. It gets to the place where a man's heart is so wicked. A flood in Noah's day has to come to wipe out the unrighteous. And once again start over with the righteous line to bring in the Messiah. And it goes on and on. All these years, he's up there. On the throne, seeing all this take place. And really, it broke his heart to see what he saw. Why did it take 4,000 years? To him, it was only four days. A thousand years is as a day. A day is a thousand years to the Lord. So if you look at it from that mentality, it was only four days later Christ came on the scene. But when he came on the scene, when he emerged, he didn't come riding on a white horse with power, with an army, and so on. He came as an innocent babe in the womb 
of Mary. He was born in Bethlehem and reared up and taught the scriptures, which is why he became a teacher in the synagogues. During that time, he identified who he was through studying the word of God. And I'm sure by the Holy Spirit as he came upon him as well. But look at what he did. The moment he came out of the waters of baptism, he began to preach and teach the Sermon on the Mount. When he came down from that mountain, immediately he was met by a leper who came to him and said, if you will, you can make me clean. And from that point, we see in Matthew chapter 4, 23, 24, 25, we see him on the scene destroying the works of the devil. Acts 10, 38 kind of summarizes it and says it all. It says that how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. He came to destroy the works of the devil. The sickness, the diseases, the mental anguish, the poverty, the list goes on and on. Anywhere and everywhere he went, including multiplying food for people to eat when they were hungry, providing even at a wedding ceremony, water turned into wine and so on. Danger of destruction out there on the ship when the weather was so bad that they were about to sink. Being transported from where they were to the very edge of the lake or the sea to spare their lives. All these things, walking on water, the list goes on and on. He did it to help humanity. And he said, look, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. This is my father's heart. I'll never forget the Syrophoenician woman coming to him. My daughter's grievously vexed with this devil. And what happened? Of course, I won't get into all the detail. He healed her. But the moment she went away, her daughter was healed. They brought up to him multitudes, the blind, the deaf, the halt, the maimed. Set them on a mountaintop before the Lord. So many, and then many others, it says. And he healed them all in so much that they marveled when they saw the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the maimed to be made whole. The main body parts removed and missing. He healed them all. Why? He was moved with compassion to heal all their sick. He did all that when he was here on the planet to destroy the works of the devil. But you know what? That's not even the biggest thing. When he did all these miracles, he told his disciples, give them something to eat. I don't want them to go away and faint because they've been with us for such a long time. They said, we don't have enough food. He had compassion on them. After healing them all, didn't want them to be hungry and faint. He multiplied the food so they could eat and be, be cared for. He came to destroy the works of the devil then, and he's the same today as he was then. He's here to destroy the works of the devil now, not physically, but in spirit and through his church. It's up to every single one of us to really reevaluate our walk with God. Are we really representing him well by looking at the situations we encounter in life and just saying, you know what? I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to use the power that Jesus gave me of his name to make a difference and turn a bad situation around. Also, Christ was victorious. Let's remember that. His mission was to destroy the works of the devil. Revelation 1.18, we read it one time. Let's read it again. Here he is. You've got to see this. He's emerged from suffering for our sin. We can't even understand that. But look what it says. I am he that liveth. In other words, I'm the ancient of days. I always was. And I was dead. I died. My life was taken from me. But no, now behold, gaze upon me, he says. I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell 
and of death. What a statement. No one else could ever make that statement. He was victorious. And let's remember this. Only Jesus is the way to the Father. Look at John 14, 6. You know the verse, I'm sure, quite well. It says this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We remember all these lives that were taken. And we should never take for granted the sacrifice that they made for us to enjoy our freedoms. But we also remember the life that was taken. Jesus our Lord. So that we could have not national freedom. But eternal freedom and victory. And enjoy life throughout eternity with him and the Father in glory. That's what he achieved. So on this Memorial Day celebration tomorrow. Let's be mindful that freedom doesn't come without a price. Without a cost. And we thank God for all those and their memory. And we pray for all those family members that lost loved ones. Especially recently. To war. And we lift them up before the throne. That they would be comforted. By the Holy Spirit as he manifests himself in comforting grace in all their lives. But then also. This last closing verse, John 15, 13, this is what it's all about. And this is what we represent. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That was Jesus. He laid down his life for all of us. And if you follow him, he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself the right to live independent of God. Take up your cross means submit to his will for your life. And follow him means allow him to mold you into the person that he wants you to be. He said, love others as I have loved you. Not even as you love yourself. That bar has been raised. What's that tell us? Our lives are to be lived as a sacrifice. Remember Romans chapter 12 verse 2? Your body is to be presented to God as a sacrifice. Chapter 1, I mean verse 1 and verse 2. Lay it down as a sacrifice. Rid yourself of pride, all of us, and selfishness. And let's live our lives to be a blessing to others. That is the way Jesus would have us to live. Father, I thank you this morning for any individual person or family that has suffered the loss of a loved one through war. Their heartache and pain, we understand and only empathize if we've lost one ourselves. We lift up all these individuals before your throne and ask that you would comfort their souls by the power of your Holy Spirit and give them peace. And Father, I pray that each and every person at the sound of my voice would experience this comfort but also focus their attention on the things of eternity that they may have that experience with you and join their loved ones in glory. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.